honestly, these types of people like him, like um, that guy that we read about the week before, yeah. David Wood, Ick. That guy, they, they should, they should be novelists. We're live. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Safina Society podcast. The Safina Society, nothing but facts, live stream, should say. I got it wrong there. Welcome to the Safina Society, nothing but facts, live stream, where we are going to today read from a wonderful book, okay, that we have been gifted called Navigating the End of Time by Astrad Rashid. And I have to admit, it's a really nice cover. Okay? Really nice cover. Astrad Rashid. And we're going to read today, and we're going to stir the pot a little bit, and we're going to poke the bear. And we're going to read about Imran Hussein's uh, theory. Uh, that Muhammad al-Fatih is a Dajjalic stooge, and that we should all be supporting Vladimir Putin and the Russian Orthodox Church. Okay? So how did we get there? All right. It's ajab, ajab, ajab. Okay, Gog and Magog, already they're out, he says. Okay, they're already out. Some of you may be from them too. Okay, if you are a white uh, person from the West, and we'll see. Okay, so we'll see why he says all these things and why we think that they're crazy ideas and, and, and they're ultimately incorrect. Let's put it that way. The common man says oh, is a crazy idea, but if we're supposed to be scholarly and, and all that, then we'll say it's simply incorrect. But first, Tuesday is the day of tafsir. We turn to Sayyidina Imam al-Baghawi's book, okay, in which we are covering um, still on Surahs al-Muna'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'
فأقام بقباء يوم الاثنين والثلاثاء والأربعاء ويوم الخميس وأسس مسجدهم in those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday he established the masjid ثم خرج من بين أظهرهم then he left on Friday morning عامدا المدينة فأدركته صلاة الجمعة في بني سالم بن عوف he then uh, reached at, uh, the time of Jum'ah okay while he was at the Bani Salim ibn Auf uh, area of homes. Fi batni wadin lahum. In a valley that they owned or that they lived in. Waqad attakhadu fi thalik al-mawdi' masjida. And they had already established a masjid, so the Prophet went there and he gave the Jummah speech. Okay. Fas'aw ila dhikrillah ay famdu. We said this last week, but just to do a quick review. Fas'aw here does not mean run. Just like a darb in the Quran, it darb, it always comes with the meaning of separation. For example, fadribu fawq al-anaq, right? Wadribu minhum kulla banan, darb al-riqab. All of that means separation. Separate. In warfare, in the old warfare, the war is something that is a necessity. You have no choice, except sometimes to do it. So the Quran came. And made it as easy as possible, right? The killing, even when you have to kill somebody, it should be ahsinul qitla. Even the Prophet said, whether you slaughter or you have to execute someone or you go to war. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells a human being how to do this by cutting limbs and necks, striking there, striking there, you, the person bleeds out and dies faster than anything else. Then, if, for example, then if you stabbed him, then he gets infection and he doesn't always die from that. Okay, so adarb. And I'm going to gather this into one thing, but oftentimes you see a darb has to do with separation. Okay. And it does influence the tafasir of Surah Al Ma'idah. What does it say here? Uh, enlarge. Can you pinch it up? Uh, enlarge it? Yeah, there you go. All right. See, there you go. Uh, where's the heading of the daraba? All right. It does come with the meaning of to strike. It does come with the meaning to separate. And it does come with the meaning to leave, to turn from, to forsake, to abandon, or to shun. Right? And it does come with all those meanings. All right? For example, a punch comes in the Quran with the word meaning of wakaz. Al-waks. Fawakazahu Musa It's to punch. Uh, to slap Latum To hit someone on the back of the head Or the back of the neck Safq Okay So so the types of hitting Just like in English has different meanings Hitting in general is a general meaning So hitting right, The word darb does have the meaning Of hitting in general And it does have the meaning of separate Alright So uh, we can go into that More of that after that uh, After I compile all that But to show that the meaning of a word here, fas'aw ila dhikrillah. Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, rush, run to the remembrance of Allah, but not mean it? Because your heart should be rushing. Your mind and your heart should be, have nothing on its mind except the remembrance of Allah once Jum'ah's in. Even though your body doesn't do this. Your body is going to behave slowly, normally. So that the Prophet ﷺ also said, you should not arrive at salah, Disheveled and like this, you should arrive at Salah with Sakina. 
How's our white point on this image, though? It seems like the white point's really bright. Is it or is it me? Okay, it's fine. It's because this thing actually is really bright. No, it's up to you. That's fine. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, that's not. I don't think that's the influence. It's this thing is really bright, but it's okay. Wadarul bayah, all buying and selling. Now, here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. This is a question actually a brother asked me. He says he's intending to go to the two o'clock juma. There's one o'clock juma. There's two o'clock juma. And a package comes in the mail that he has to sign off for. Is it lawful for him to do that at 1 o'clock while the first Jummah is going? The answer is no. Right? It's the Jummah that you have intended to go to. That's when when the Adhan goes off in the masjid. Okay, That's when all buying and selling becomes forbidden. And the Adhans are two. The Adhan of gathering and the Adhan of the beginning of the khutbah. We're talking about the second one. The Adhan of the beginning of the khutbah. So I can enter the masjid, and suddenly someone says uh, says to me here, can you make this register for me or buy this on Amazon? And these days, to buy something on Amazon, it's literally one click. Your payment information is there. Everything's there. It's literally one click. So I'm sitting there. Khatib hasn't shown up yet. Mu'adhan hasn't shown up yet. So that would not be unlawful for me to click on that. Of course, maybe it's a decrease of reward, because I did something of the dunya rather than something of ibadah at that time. When the ibadah is heightened, the reward of it is heightened. And everyone should try to go there from dhuhr. In the Maliki school, it's from dhuhr. Other madhabs have it from duha. Right? That you go to Jummah from duha. But no, in the Maliki school, you go from when the sun reaches its zenith, that's when you head off to the masjid. And you do your ibadah and your tanaful, nawafil, um, until the Mu'adhan uh, uh, calls out that. Yeah. Is there less reward in the second Jummah for people to go to the second Jummah between the first Jummah? The first Jummah is the Asl. As is in the older masjid, that's the Asl. And then everything else is the added exception. So, for example, if we would think back to the first Islamic cities, they had one Jummah, just like Medin. There's one Jummah. In the whole city has one Salat al-Jum'ah. And it's always in the oldest mosque. Only as an exception because of the population, you now had Jum'ahs established in multiple masajid. And any the sultan can shut anything down he wants. And he can dictate the khutbah if he wants. He's in control of Jum'ah. It's a public address. He's in absolute control of Jum'ah. So when they say, the, oh, the government hands, hands out the Jum'ah. That's not the issue. The issue is the content of the Jum'ah and their intention of it, Right? You got like we're on the brink of World War Three, and the Khatib comes and says the fiqh of clipping nails, right? And he's it purposely irrelevant, purposely making you fall asleep, right? So that's the problem. But before that, the Sultan he could. What if he had a um, a uh, you know awesome khutbas and he made everyone read the statement? Okay, he's allowed to do that. And he's allowed to say, say what you want, but you start with this and you end with this. National announcements, for example. Right, so that's all allowed. You are allowed to establish your own Jummah, but if the king comes and the sultan comes and he says something, then you have to obey him on the matter of Jummah. So the f- idea of having multiple Jummahs per masjid, per city, it's a first necessary innovation. It's a bidah, but it, it's necessary. It's a good example of an obligatory innovation. Because the obligatory could not be fulfilled without it, right? 
Secondly, multiple Jamaas per masjid for the sake of parking or just the sake of population as well is a necessary innovation. We know masjid, there are like big masjid in big cities that have four Jamaas, right? They, they established four Jamaas. And in the Maliki school, Jumaah, the Imam Malik did not limit it to Dhuhr time. Jumaah can go all the way through into Asr, up to Maghrib. As long as there's time to pray at least one rakah of Asr before the Adhan and Maghrib. So you can technically have Jumaah. See, this is why people have to have fiqh. But if you, but, but, because most people are emotional, okay, and the general, the general education and, and literacy in, in Sharia is not that high amongst people, but we have to change that. We're going to cater to that, or they ca- we make them cater to tr- the truth, so that you could actually establish Jummah after work in the summer. Right? Go to work, finish the whole day, 5 o'clock, you got three and a half hours to pray Jummah. You can have four Jummahs. From 5, you can have one at 6. No, the Jummah doesn't take that long. 5, 5.30, 6, 6.30, okay? You could do all that. So, uh, why is it that we do, we do have masajid that establish Jumu'ah before Dhuhr? Taking a Hanbali opinion. I believe that they can start it before Dhuhr, but they would have to finish it after Dhuhr. Okay? That's a Hanbali opinion. But the Maliki opinion is that Jumu'ah can be established into Asr time. It's excellent for kids who go to school. You know, many kids, they think that they got to leave school, right? They got to rush real quick and pray Jummah before Dhuhr, uh, before Asr. And we used to have that in our school, before the school itself, the public school itself facilitated for them to have their own Jummah. This is a, a ruling excre- extremely useful, right? Uh, that people should, should utilize if it's going to help them make Jummah rather than miss it. How many people tell you that, oh, I got a job, I can't miss it? Some jobs you can't, like bus drivers. He can't just pause. And he's not a traveler, right? He just keeps looping within, tra- within the non-traveling distance, and he's just got to keep looping all day. He can't stop. So why don't we establish this for him? And then we can have a Jummah in the mosque, right? You know, for those types of people. In the Maliki school, you need 12 people to establish Jummah, and it has to be obligatory for all 12 of them. It has to be obligatory for all 12 of them, as opposed to the traveler, for example. Yes? Uh, if you're moving the Jummah to Asr, do you have to pay your zuhr during the Zuhr time? No. 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 You Jummah. Jummah takes the place of the... Yeah. So he asked the question, if you're moving Jummah to... If you move Jummah to Asr time, okay, uh, do you have to pray the The answer is no. You, Jummah will take the place of the we got some of these youth that are, uh, you know that I, um, there's a youth camp, kids camp. And I, t- I t- taught them today about Tahara. That's why they keep putting those questions here. What is Tahur? What are the four types of water? Yeah, the whole, what is Najasa? Right, that's why. <laughs> that's why they're, they're putting that up. Darul Bayah All buying, selling Al-Bayah is both ways Buying and selling The word Bayah 
refers to buying and selling, not just buying and selling. Same with shira. يَتَنَاوَلُهُمَا جَمِيعًا وَإِنَّمَا يَحْرُمُ الْبَيْعُ وَالشِّرَاءُ عِنْدَ الْأَذَانِ الثَّانِي See that? يَحْرُمُ عِنْدَ الْأَذَانِ الثَّانِي So the first adhan to gather all the people. Or that dhuhr has come in. It's the second adhan that establishes Jummah. At that point, no talking. No... You want to hear something hilarious? There was a guy who said something in... It's close to it was it was ashura he sunni got up gave a speech okay about sayyidina al-hussein a guy stands up this is like a, it's a comedy sketch but it really happened a guy stood up and he said this is all wrong what you're saying okay turns out he's a shi'i okay so it's all wrong what you're saying another guy says what's it to you you're a shi'i Right? Your prayer with us isn't even valid according to your religion. Right? Third guy speaks and he says, you're not allowed to talk during Jummah. Okay? A fourth guy laughs and said, you, you just talked. Right? The fifth guy says, hey guys, none of this matters because this is the bayan, not the khutbah. <laughs> A complete comedy sketch. Okay? That someone told me this happened up in North Jersey. Where they, the Ahnaf will give a bayan in the English language. That is not the khutbah. Then he will stand up, give an intro, khutbah, very short. Sit down, second khutbah, salah. So uh, you can imagine many, many people don't know the difference, what's going on, right? So they observe the bayan as if it's the khutbah. And that was the case that was happening there. I understand Pakistan when I went, like, uh, they were really long bayan in Urdu. Yeah. And then they have, like, a short uh, khutbah, the guys, you know, speaking Arabic and yeah. just reciting, like, you know, sort of, like, different stuff. Yeah. And then they have the... And he'll, he'll just recite, read the same, like, yeah. little passage every week. That's what they had too. Yeah. Okay. The imam should be the last one there. In other words, the imam comes right before... The imam should not come a period of time before Jummah. Before the khutbah, I mean. He should come right away and the adhan is called. Okay. وَقَالَ الزُّهْرِ عِنْدَ خُرُوجِ الْإِمَامِ قَالَ الضَّحَاكِ إِذَا زَالَتِ الشَّمْسُ No, but that's not all what we go by. We all, None of that is what we go by. We go by the second adhan. When the imam says, As-salamu alaykum, when the adhan is called, given, that's when يَحْرُمُ الْبَيْعَ Okay. And Allah says, this is better for you. Uh, to leave off uh, This is better to, for you And this this is better for you It also points to something else Because the Yahud were given Jummah Bay'ah was haram for them Buying, selling, fishing All that stuff was haram for them For about 30 minutes On Friday But they asked Sayyidina Musa We want to have Saturday Because at that time in the world All the pagans Their day was Saturday And they wanted to mimic them so they said to Sayyidina Musa, give us, make it Saturday. Go back, ask Allah to change it from Jum'a, Friday to Saturday. See the nerve of these people. Go, see, see, we don't know this because our forefathers were not like this. Our forefathers are the Ansar. That's the majority. And it's their temperament that was the color or the dyed, the dye that shaped the temperament of our Ummah. The Ansar, Jum'a is your day. Okay, Jum'a is our day. Right, give some of this money. Give some of the money. They're they're farmers. They're at peace with themselves. They've accepted the prophet 
in foundation. Why would you then dis- disagree with the with the root? Like you accept this tree is a healthy tree. Okay? You accept that this root this this trunk will produce a beneficial fruit. When I pick for you the fruit, just eat it. I pick for you a doctor. The doctor gives you instructions. Just take the instructions. You already accepted the doctor. So their minds are clear, the Ansar. That's why they're praised. Okay? Hubbul Ansar min al-Iman. Love of Ansar is from Iman. But these folks, you know Musa salam, what rank he has with Allah. You know he's the most knowledgeable. And you know your creator wants the best for you. Yet, they still put their desires into the picture. So Sayyidina Musa returned from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, they can have Saturday, but they have to give me the whole day. They agreed to the deal. Shortly after agreeing to the deal, Allah tested them and Allah has the right to test. We said yesterday, Allah doesn't play tricks. Allah does not um, lie to people. Allah does not try to fool you, but Allah does have the right to test you. How does Allah test, for example, uh, in Surah Al-Isra, that Allah Ta'ala brings you an ayah that many people wonder about, in which he states, uh, We have not placed for you or given you or bestowed upon you the vision which we showed you. وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الرُّؤْيَا Isra Imaraj Specifically in the Quran, Isra الَّتِي أَرَيْنَاكَ The vision that we showed you Except as a fitna for people Allah has the right to test the iman of people Okay وَالشَّجَرَةَ الْمَلْعُونَةَ فِي الْقُرْآنَ What does Isra Imaraj have to do with the tree that is accursed The accursed tree in the hellfire Okay, what is the accursed tree? It's the zakum. That grows in the hellfire. Okay? So why is it that Isra'i Mi'raj and this accursed tree, what's their link? What's their connection? The connection is that once the Prophet spoke of these things, it caused a lot of people to laugh and use use this as a wedge to make people doubt Islam. Isra'i Mi'raj for obvious reasons. The Isra' for the simple reason of that they didn't believe that a person go to Jerusalem and come back. What about the tree? Shajarat is zakum, the tree that grows in the hellfire. Abu Jahl took it and he went to the people. He said, People, he's telling you there's a fire. Can a tree survive in the fire? Right? The wood, the leaves, it'll be all burned up. Right? So, this is a person who is, Waliyadu Billah saying, he's saying, Majnoon, contradicting himself, and he's telling you there is a tree in Jahannam. How could there be a tree in a fire? How can a tree survive in the fire? But Allah's telling you there will be a tree in the fire. It will not be burnt. Okay? In fact, it will be nourished by the fire. It will grow stronger because of the fire. Its thorns will grow sharper because of the fire. So that's why what Allah says, we made it a fitna for the people. Allah has the right to test your iman by bringing you something that in your mind may be hard to believe. But we say, well, what does my mind have to do anything with the truth? My imagination is like limited. My eyes are limited. We can see so little of what's actually in front of us. These tools right here are so limited. Okay? These tools are limited. All tools have limits. That's why Allah does not have limbs. Limbs have limits. Right? And Allah is basir. He has basar and he's basir. Why did the scholars say, like, the seven attributes, 
Basar, Sama, but they said you must also know he's Samia and Basir. Why? Because it's saying he sees without use of a tool. Every tool has a limit. So someone is a fool who imagines reality to be within the limits, the confines of his limitations. And that's what Abu Jahl was all about. He's like, we, we can't have, there can't be a tree that, that, burns in the, that lives in a fire. Why? Just because you haven't seen one? You haven't seen all the materials of wood in the world? You haven't seen all the types of, well, wh- how do you know what this tree is made of? Like, you don't have all the material knowledge of this world. You don't know that there could be something if one, if, if that Allah created, if he, if he sprays the tree with it, it's immune to the fire or it benefits from the fire. And it's not that Sajrat al-Zaqum or something will exist because that other thing exists. Allah will make that other thing exist. And Allah could make the, fire, the, fire, uh, the tree Zaqum, a natural tree that we all know and still just doesn't get burnt. Simple. Just like Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam was a flesh and blood like us, and the fire was a normal fire, and it never touched him. In fact, it gave him relaxation. SubhanAllah. Exact opposite result. Why? Because the cause and the effect in our aqidah are two separate creations altogether. We don't have to bring... The, this is why if you think about it, ta'arifina billah, the, they focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, doesn't make a difference to them the causes. The asbab doesn't matter to them. If you have a rich dad, you never wonder where money comes from. Stuff just comes, right? I want to eat, we eat. I want to go on vacation, we go on vacation. Only someone who doesn't have money had to think of where to get this money. Then he starts learning about economics. He got learning about money. He knows more about money. Sometimes I feel that us, every time we have tawakkul, and we people of iman, we actually, like, we don't think so much about the asbab, the means. Okay? Because we know the musabib. We only need to know the means insofar as it's ibadah for us. If I want something, I have to learn the means. And I, don't, I learn the means for a whole different reason. We learn the asbab, let's say, of whatever field you're in. You learn the asbab to see the wisdom of Allah's creation. This has nothing to do with the cause, does not have anything to do with the effect. We're just commanded to take the causes if we want the effects. But the effect comes from Allah. The cause comes from Allah too. So sometimes it, it comes that the, the Muslims seem to not care at all about the material causes of things because they know the, they know the musabib. They know the one behind it all. Just like uh, a, a boy could care less where money comes from. There's plenty of it uh, and, and his dad brings him whatever he needs, right? So he could care less where, how to make money. That's why a lot of these rich they don't know anything about making money, right? So it's very similar some of the awliya when they act. This is not the example though. The better example is the one who appreciates the asbab and studies them solely for the reason of seeing the wisdom of Allah in it and that Allah has commanded us, if you want something, you have to take the asbab. That's the only reason we study the asbab. Whenever you read these scientific journals, they just make a great discovery, but they got the big picture all wrong. Right? They got the big picture all wrong. In any event, let's keep going here. All of this is better. So here, Juma, and not not having trade in Juma, just twenty minutes. This is better for you. Why? Because if it wasn't this, it could be the whole day. Think about that. Imagine Juma was the whole day. So how do we make sure that we don't be like the Yehud? Does a person have to go to work on Juma? No, but a person has to believe that they could. That's it. That's what separates us from the Yehud. So say Omar said, go and get something from the market. Do something. Just any little thing 
so that your outward doesn't reflect the outward of the Yehud who have a Sabbath. The whole day they don't work. Okay. On top of that, you cheated. They cheated. On top of that, see, oh, see why I said Allah has the right to test us is because when Allah gave them the Sabbath, the whole day you can't work. The Sabbath starts on Friday night. So all day Saturday, Allah caused the fish to come up because Allah has the right to test us. Okay? Allah told us, told, told them, don't work. And the most, you know, luscious, the you know, easy catch of fishing, of fish is right in front of them. They have to look at it. They have to let it go. And of course, for a fisherman, that's a big deal. Those are easy catches. And you may never get, you know, it's, it's a school of fish that's going. That's a school of fish that's leaving. By tomorrow, by the evening, they'll be far somewhere else. You have to catch them now. You have to let it go. Okay? So, wait a second. Don't be upset. You asked for Saturday, and you agreed for the whole day. Allah has the right to test us. Okay. And every once in a while, we, we, we do get tested. And tests always come when you least expect it. Right? Tests never come with an announcement. Right? The, the, otherwise, it's not a test. Right? The real examination with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like a pop quiz or a, a, a on-the-spot exam. And it happens with an incident. It can happen when you're tired. It can happen when, when you least expect it to bring out your true color, character and your true color. Okay. So that's why this is khairun lakum. This Jum'ah ruling of Jum'ah is better for us because it could have been like the Jews the whole day. Okay. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the interpretations. كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ أَيْ مَصَالِحَ أَنفُسِكُمْ وَعْلَمْ أَنَّ صَلَاةَ الْجُمْعَةِ مِنْ فُرُودِ الْأَعْيَانِ It is Fardain, Salat al-Jum'ah. فَتَجِبُوا What are the شروط الْوُجُوب? Alright. شروط الْوُجُوب are what are the conditions of something to be, those conditions have to be there for, in order for the matter to become obligatory. فَتَجِبُوا عَلَى كُلِّ مَنْ جَمْعَ الْعَقْلَ وَالْبُلُوغَ وَالْحُرِّيَّ وَالذُّكُورَ وَالْإِقَامَةِ So you have to have these things which are you have to have intellect. You have to have reach maturity. You have to have freedom. You cannot be a prisoner, for example. In jail, you don't have to pray Jummah. Jummahs, the Shurut al are not there for them. However, if they do it, it's, it's just accepted from them. Al-Dhukura. Okay, you have to be a male for it to be obligatory upon you. But again, uh, it's not Shart Siha. Shart Wujub only. So that if you're a female and you do pray Jummah, it's accepted from you. But you're not obligated. Like the prisoner. In jails, the, all these Muslims in jails, it's accepted from them to pray Jummah. It's not like they can't pray Jummah. So which is shurut al-wujub, the preconditions of obligation are different from the preconditions of validity. So the preconditions of validity is not that you be a male. Okay? It's valid from you from even if you're a female. It's valid from you even if you're a prisoner or a slave or something like that. Uh, but it's just not obligatory. Al-iqamah, idha lam yakun lahu udr. Okay? Uh, an iqama to be established to to be in your home city even if you do not have uh, as long as you don't have an excuse what are some excuses to miss juma for someone present obviously he's sick or someone else is sick and he has to tend to them so let's say someone's sick in the house let's say you have a child that's sick in the house all right alhamdulillah uh you're 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 a father you're uh, and and you're home with your kid today and then the kid goes sick Fall sick. You can't bring a sick child to the masjid, and you can't leave the child who is, let's say, five years old or four years old, can't leave them home alone. Right? 
Sharia does not obligate you to go hire a babysitter. You can stay home with your kid. And you miss Jummah. You pray the That's a valid excuse. Or the elderly. Or someone who is muhtadr, about to die. Right? And khalas to, uh, grandma is going to die any day now. Right? Any, um, any, any minute now. Could be, so you, you're allowed to stay for that. To make sure that uh, you witness their last moments. So who else here? If you leave Juma off without any reason whatsoever, this is you deserve threats. As for the child and the majnoon, they're not obligated because they haven't reached bulugh, nor do they one of them hasn't reached bulugh, one of them doesn't have intellect. Intellect means sanity. Because their bodies themselves are deficient. One has not matured and one doesn't have a sound mind and therefore none of the obligations of the body are upon them. Alright? Akhbarana Abdul Wahab ibn Muhammad al-Khatib Akhbarana Abdul Aziz Ahmad al-Khalal Akhbarana Abu al-Abbas al-Asam Akhbarana al-Rabi'ah أخبرنا الشافعي أخبرنا إبراهيم بن محمد حدثني سلم بن عبد الله الخطمي عن محمد بن كعب أنه سمع رجلا من بني وائل يقول قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم تجب الجمعة على كل مسلم إلا امرأة أو صبيا أو مملوكة The Prophet peace be upon him said Jumu'ah is obligatory upon every Muslim except a woman, a child or a prisoner or slash slave وذهب أكثرهم إلى أنه لا جمعة على العبيد Slaves don't have جمعة قال الحسن وقتاد والأوزاعي تجب على العبد المخارج It is obligatory upon a slave I assume مخارج here is somebody who A slave who I don't know I don't want to say what it means Maybe it's a slave that is allowed to move around Maybe that's what it means by that ولا تجب على المسافر عند الأكثرين. It's not obligatory on the musafir. Okay. وقال النقعي والزهري. The musafir can pray Juma, but he should not lead it. If he's in another city, he can pray, but he doesn't lead it. نقعي والزهري says تجب على المسافر إذا سمع النداء. Okay. نقعي والزهري. They said he has to pray Juma, but that's not what the majority are upon. وكل من له عذر من مرض. أو تعهد مريض أو خوف جاز له ترك الجمعة كذلك له تركها بعذر المطر والوحل uh, Any rain, any th- situation you had to cover your head to go out or it becomes extremely muddy then the Juma, you are exempted from Juma too Don't tell that to the American population Seattle will have no Jumas, right? London have no Jumas. Certain certain rulings, you actually some people will take such advantage of it, um, it won't be good for them. But if it's severe, it's it's relative. It's common sense and relative. A drizzle, we're going to walk through it, right? But torrential rain, the way we had it yesterday, right? You guys had it, you saw it, right? Torrential downpours, you can stay home. Severe snow, the point that the cars are slipping around, you stay home, right? When the when the severe snow and storms are. Uh, and rain is coming down it's an ex- it's a valid ex- reason to stay home it's not just a drizzle back then it was any rain for them because the whole street became so muddy but for us we have uh 
we're accustomed to traveling out, out in a little bit of a drizzle. أخبرنا عبد الواحد ابن أحمد المليحي أخبرنا أحمد ابن عبد الله النعيمي أخبرنا محمد بن يوسف حدثنا محمد بن إسماعيل حدثنا مسدد حدثنا إسماعيل أخبرنا عبد الحميد صاحب الزيادي حدثنا عبد الله ابن الحارث ابن عمر حدثنا محمد ابن سيرين okay, the great Muhammad ibn Sirin قال, قال ابن عباس لمؤذن uh, Ibn Abbas said to Limuadhinihi to his Muadhin on the day of rain. It was raining one day. Ida Kulta Ashadu and Muhammad Rasulullah Fala Takul Hayala Salah. Kul Salufi Buyutikum. Okay, Fakaanna Nasas Tankaru Fakala Fa'alahu Manhua Khairu Minni in Al Jumata Azima wa inni Karehtu and Akhridjakum and Ukhridjukum. أن أخرجكم من بيوتكم فتمشون في الطين والدحض. Alright, so Ibn Abbas told the Mu'adhan, and this time Ibn Abbas was an adult, not the child, as he was in some other ahadith. He says to his Mu'adhan, after you say, Shadu Anna Muhammad Rasulullah, do not say, Hayal al Salah, say, Sallu fi buyutikum, pray in your homes. Okay? Say, pray in your homes. And people said, what is this, Ibn Abbas? We never heard a nadhan like this. Ibn Abbas said, someone better than me said it, did this. It doesn't say who. Maybe some other books have that. But he simply said, someone better than me did this. And Jum'ah is a great, it's a, a great act. And I hate to pull you out of your homes and then walking in the mud for the sake of it. Okay. وكل من لا يجب عليه حضور حضور الجمعة everyone who does not have to pray Jum'ah فإذا حضر وصلّى مع الإمام الجمعة سقط عنه فرض الظهر anyone who's not obligated to pray Dhuhr uh, to pray Jum'ah if he does pray Jum'ah he doesn't have to pray Dhuhr okay سقط عنه فريضة الظهر ولكن لا يكمل به عدد الجمعة إلا صاحب العذر لا يكمل به عدد الجمعة فإنه إذا حضر يكمل به العدد لكن لا يكمل به عدد أخبرنا الإمام أبو الحسن عبد الرحمن بن محمد الداوي الداودي أخبرنا أبو محمد سمر قندي حدثنا حدثنا معاي بن سلام أخبرنا زيد بن السلام أنه سمع أبا سلام يقول حدثني الحكم ابن مي... ابن مينا أن ابن عمر حدثه وأبا هريرة ابن عمر أبو هريرة أنهما سمعا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول they heard the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم saying وهو على أعواد من بره while he is on the pulpit لا ينتهين أقوام عن ودع ودعهم الجمعات أو ليختمن الله على قلوبهم ثم لا يكونن من الغافلين. There are some people out there who they must stop skipping Juma, or else Allah will lock cover over their hearts and they will be from the heedless. So those who skip Juma, Prophet Sallallahu is warning them. Guys, I don't know what happened here, and I'm just perplexed at why these chandeliers suddenly became dim. Last 
couple weeks. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, they suddenly became Jim. Did you notice that? Yeah. I mean, it's bright on the screen, but these chandeliers used to be really bright. Okay. This is one of those pet peeves. That, you know, something happens like that, you don't know why it happened. Yeah. قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ تَرَكَ الْجُمْعَةِ ثَلَاثَةَ مَرَّاتِ تَهَاوُنًا بِهَا طَبَعَ اللَّهُ عَلَى قَلْبِهِ Someone leaves off Jum'ah three times, taking Jum'ah lightly, not for an excuse. Okay? Three times you left Jum'ah in a row. For no reason, Allah stamps your heart. Why? You, you want that. You don't want the truth from entering your heart. You don't want the light of ibadah to enter your heart. So Allah helps you. He closes it for you. Allah helps you do everything that you do yourself when you prove yourself. If you prove that you're doing something, then Allah opens the way for you. That's why if any, anything that you do and you keep at it, eventually it becomes easy. That's what they call al-fatih. Okay? The moment someone's reciting Quran or writing, reciting books of deen and he can't, it's struggling. But then finally he gets it. Starts clicking, that's called al-fatih. Allah is helping you now. You proved that you want it that badly. They differed on the place of Jum'ah. And the number of people needed for Jum'ah. And the distance that you have to come from. They differed on all of these things. As for the location, uh, Forty residents. Residents here meaning permanent residents, not uh, seasonal residents, okay? So summer home, no, like the rich, we summer in the Hamptons, right? Summer has now become a verb, okay? But someone who, who, who is only there for a job, for example, either for a four-month job, six-month job, not that, okay? Actual resident, he plans to live there permanently, not coming and going. So that's one saying is that as soon as 40 people, 40 of those who are Jum'ah uh, be obligatory for them comes, then uh, here, bring it here. The flame is going. Is the flame going or no? Huh? Oh, so what did you like? Oh, the stuff itself? Okay. I'm just going to keep it here so I keep an eye out on the flame. Okay. 40 people. Uh, and who said this? For, uh, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz says 40 and the governor or the mayor or whatever the other says 40 والوالي غير شرط عند الشافعي الشافعي said no it doesn't have to have a, a mayor وقال علي لا جمعة إلا في مصر جامع 
وهو قول أصحاب الرأي سيدنا علي and the people of Iraq أصحاب الرأي they said there's no Juma except in an established city مصر ثم عند أبي حنيفة رضي الله عنه تنعقد بأربعة والوالي شرط four and a mayor So if you go out into a land in which there's like no civilization, like there's, it's not within the scope of any authority. And that used to exist. Today it doesn't exist. Every single known area of the earth is under a political entity. Is that correct to say? Fair to say? But back in the old days it wasn't. You'd... Antarctica, I think officially it is under somebody, isn't it? Like UN maybe? Look it up. Yeah, maybe Antarctica is the only one. وقال الأوزاعي وأبو يوسف تنعقد بثلاثة أوزاعي أوزاعي is the مجتهد of Shem, right? He's the مجتهد Imam of Syria. He said three and the mayor. وقال الحسن وأبو ثور تنعقد باثنين. No, it's like any jama'ah, two is enough. Antarctica doesn't belong to anyone. Wow. There's no single country that owns Antarctica. Instead, Antarctica is governed by a group of nations, a unique international partnership, the Antarctica Treaty. Who's in the Antarctica Treaty? Okay, so New Zealand, Australia, France, Norway, UK, Chile, and Argentina. How, how did Chile and Argentina get involved? Oh, okay, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were sneaking yesterday. Yes, uh, we were... About the Sweden Quran burning and Chile somehow got involved. Okay. They say Kasair al Salawat. They said two. Wakala Rabia Tanaqidu Bithnay Ashara Rajula Rabiaturai. Okay, he said twelve. And that's the Maliki opinion. What Dalilu Allah Jawazi Iqamatiha fil Qura. Okay, why did he say twelve? What was the methodology of Rabi'ah? Okay. All these other methodologies are Qiyas based. Rabi'ah's methodology is not Qiyas based. Rabi'ah's methodology and is the Prophet said, pray as you see me pray. So if we need to know what is the least that we can pray Jummah with, then let's see what is the least that the Prophet ever prayed Jummah with. And the least group the Prophet ever prayed Jummah with was 12. And that is when the entire the 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 Juma before the Juma became obligatory before the the revelation of the obligation, a, a, a caravan came in with goods. They beat the drum. They say hey, we got goods. We just came back from Syria. Everyone left except twelve people. Yeah, and so they took that number twelve from there, and that's the Maliki opinion. أخبرنا عبد الواحد ابن أحمد المليحي أخبرنا أحمد He's now going to discuss okay, those who say you could do it in the villages It's from ابن عباس إن أول جمعة جمعت بعد جمعة في مسجد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في مسجد عبد القيس Okay. The first Jummah to be established after the Jummah of the Prophet was in Bahrain. Okay. Very tiny country. Yeah. Shia majority ruled by a Sunni minority. 
مقيما في قرية لا تقام فيها الجمعة أو كان مقيما في برية برية فذهب قوم إلى أنه إن كان يبلغهم النداء من موضع الجمعة يلزمهم حضور الجمعة وإن كان لا يبلغهم النداء فلا جمعة عليهم Alright, what about people who live in the outskirts of the city? They're nomads and they live in tents outside the city. What's the ruling on them? If they hear the call right, by voice only, they have to go. If they can't even hear the adhan, they don't have to go. وهو قول الشافعي وأحمد وإسحاق والشرط أن يبلغهم نداء مؤذن جهوري جهوري الصوت a loud voice but just by voice not by we wouldn't count Allah, I don't know if we would count the mic or not well if you if you have mics you have cars right so who knows if that's what the ruling would be in those situations who knows what kind of situations you have out there where you may have Bedouins who do hear mics are really loud but they're Bedouins and don't have cars right so they have their own fatawa يؤذن في وقت تكون الأصوات فيه هادئة والرياح ساكنة. Okay, he says this is in a time where it's not loud and there's no wind. فكل قرية تكون من موضع الجمعة في القرب على هذا القدر يجب على أهلها حضور الجمعة. So the, they said here, he said here, the first opinion, if you can hear the loud person in a quiet time of the day with no wind, then you have to go. وقال سعيد بن المسيب تجب على كل من آواه المبيت. Okay, it's obligatory on everybody who is settled. آواه المبيت settled settles there. وقال الزهري تجب على من كان على ستة أميال six miles. ربيعة four miles. مالك والليث three miles. أبو حنيفة لا جمعة على أهل السوادي. قريبة كانت القرية أو بعيدة. The people of the 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 land, the 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 people who live out there, outside the city, no jama for them, far or near. وكل من تلزمه, you know, in مرابط الحج, they don't pray jama. مرابط الحجز area, they don't pray jama. They're not settled; they're moved around. I wonder if they now settled because what I remember for hearing from 19, the year 2000. 2000, yeah, uh, summer of 2001, August of 2001, with uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, is that they didn't even pray Jummah because they didn't have all the shuruts, the preconditions of wujub. Everyone who's obligated to pray Jummah, he cannot travel after the Zawal. You have to attend. If the Zawal, the Zawal is when the sun is at the top and it moves slightly over. Well, it would move this way, right? If that happens, you can't travel. You have to pray Jummah. قبل أن يصلي الجمعة. وجوز أصحاب الرأي أن يسافر بعد الزوال إذا كان يفارق البلد قبل خروج الوقت. أما إذا سافر قبل الزوال قبل طلوع الفجر فيجوز. He can travel before the zawal. He says here that the people of Ra'i said أن يسافر بعد الزوال إذا كان يفارق البلد قبل خروج الوقت. Okay. Here it says that he can travel if he would be completely away from the city, far from the city, before the time goes out. 
غير أنه يكره إلا أن يكون that's the part's not clear to me really غير أنه يكره إلا أن يكون سفره سفر طاعة من حج أو غزو but this is مكروه unless it's for حج or for some act of obedience that he has to go to just go to war وذهب بعضهم إلى أنه إذا أصبح يوم الجمعة مقيما فلا يسافر حتى يصلي الجمعة والدليل على جوازهما so he says that others have said even if it's Jum'ah, even before the Zawad, he can't travel, right? You have to stay for Jum'ah, even before the Zawad. But what is correct is after the Zawad. Okay, and before is Makru. All right, let's pause here and stop here. We don't, we've never read that much on fiqh matters on the stream, right? And you have to consult your madhab at the end of the day. Okay. Hmm. Let's put a marker here, and we will now turn to what we will now turn to what we said we're going to talk about, which is Imran Hussein. Imran Hussein, what has possessed you to speak ill of somebody, the entire Ummah? What has possessed you to speak ill of somebody, the entire ummah, not some people, the whole ummah? Okay. Okay. Has recognized as somebody who is prophesied in the hadith. The Messenger وسلم, said, Ni'ma al Jaish wa Ni'ma Amiru Dalik al Jaish. Okay, blessed is blessed is this army and blessed is the emir of this army. Okay. And you're coming now here and saying bad things about him. Let's see what Sheikh Asad, how he responds. So what are we reading for? We're reading from I like this company a lot. Rijr Publishing. Let's see what they say. Fallacies, the many fallacies found within the Mahdi or Kesh pretenders who unwittingly misguide unwary followers, okay, should be understood. What is he talking about? Sayyidina al-Imam al-Mahdi is somebody who um, is prophesied, will come at the end of time and will reunify the Ummah, okay, and will ex- unite all many, many nations of the Ummah, okay. Some claim to have a correct methodology in understanding Islamic eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times, but make absurd conclusions based on faulty reasoning. The following is a list of some of the faulty reasoning and methodology used by such people. They misinterpret sound hadiths. They ignore other hadiths. They rush to interpret current events according to hadiths, okay, that, of things that prophecies. Uh, they hurry to usher in the end of time. Like they want the end of time to be like now, so they reinterpret everything to that, to, to, to fit that. They mix unsubstantiated theories, all commonly known as conspiracy theories, with hadiths. Okay. They make false predictions as a result of that. They mix misunderstandings of hadiths. Okay. And they take other uh, forecasts as facts and they build their theories on. The 
predictions or forecasts of other political pundits or whatever. Making false claims with regard to magic, gin, and medicine, and other branches of knowledge. So we need to scrutinize all this. Okay. Let's take an example. In 1987, Adnan Ukhtar, who was discussed earlier. I think Adnan Ukhtar is, what's his name? The, the Harun Yahya. I think it's Harun Yahya, right? The famous author Harun Yahya. He has a lot of good books, but he has some other uh, loony ideas. And he has some a very strange presentation. Did you ever see his talk show? You've seen it, right? His talk show, it's like, wait a second, is this Islamic? No one's dressed. The, the hostess, miniskirts, right? Sleeveless. It's like, wait a second, wait, what is going on? How is this Harun Yahya? This is not even an Islamic show, right? It's the weirdest, this bizarrest thing. And he comes looking like Hollywood, right? He's got this Hollywood vibe about him. Anyway. First thing when you look him up. Yeah. A cult leader, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Unreal. Wow. 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 Well, he said he interpreted AIDS as being the beast of the earth, The Prophet said there, the earth will produce a beast at the end of time. Okay, an animal that we haven't seen before. Why is that so hard to believe? Like, do you think we've seen everything, right? Even if we have, do you think Allah can't create something new? For, for, for someone whose mind is on the creator, all this is possible and easy, okay? And we've seen in our own lifetime things that you, you would have said impossible, but we've seen it happen. We have 8 billion people in the world, and for a good six months, no one left their home, right? All activity ceased, for a good six months. And then for another six months, it was a little bit. People were out. Okay. And then at the last six months, there was like COVID. You, everyone was going out, but with COVID protocols. And then that was it. So was, I think COVID, you could safely assume it was an 18-month period in three phases. Okay. Unless you're a doctor. You were out there fighting. You were? You were there? Yeah. Wow. SubhanAllah. Not pretty at all. So if you, think, if you look at this, a lot of, thi- a lot of things happened that you never imagined would have happened, right? So why is this stuff hard to believe? But anyway, he says that uh, the Dabat al-Ard was the AIDS virus. Absurd, of course. The Saudi Aid al-Qarni and Imran Hussein, they said Dabat al-Ard, it's Israel. Okay? Everything Israel. Just throw <laughs> easy layup. Okay? <laughs> easy layup. Okay? <laughs> People are going to like you in our ummah. Just blame everything on it. Later, he changed his mind. He said, no. Guess what What Imran Hussein said, Dabat al-Ard is? No. Guess? USA, Britain, China. Huh? No, Pax Britannica. No, he said it's the mobile phone. Why don't you just say there's a lot of harm from the mobile phone? Why do you have to go off on a limb that's absurd like this? And why would the Prophet, peace be upon him, who is describing things that are very hard for people to believe, right? Because you've never seen it before. Why would he use an allegory that's equally hard to believe, right? It's not like the Prophet said, a very bad thing will come out. Then you could say, okay, maybe it's the phone. 
He's telling you it's an animal that's covered with hair on one side, covered the hair on the side. He's basically telling you, this is so hard to believe. I'm going to give you the details. Then these people are saying, no, that's an allegory. Well, why would the allegory be? Allegory is supposed to be easy to understand, right? Allegory is not supposed to be equally hard or equally uh, something you haven't seen before. If the prophet wanted to describe something, he would describe it as it is. All right. If you wanted to describe phones, he would have just described it as it is. Next. Dabbat al-Ard is in fact an actual biological creature, living creature that appears after, after many, many, many other major signs of the end of time. Okay. So many things will happen. Human beings will say, forget predicting anything. Everything's unpredictable. We're, every day we're seeing something we've never seen before. Okay. To identify Debit al-Ard as Israel or AIDS or the mobile phone ignores the fact that this particular sign will only occur after the descent and the subsequent passing of Sayyidina Isa bin Maryam. Okay? And the fact that this creature will first appear at Mount Safa in Mecca along with many other details outlined in the Hadith. So here he brings an example of ignoring other Hadith about Debit al-Ard. Ignoring that the, the beast of the earth comes after Prophet Isa. Lives and dies. Okay. In another hadith, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, praised the virtue of the group of Muslims who would raid the White Palace, Al Qasr al Abyad. He gave a khutbah about that recently, and it has to do with the Prophet وسلم, said to Adi bin Hatim, You will come a time, you will see this ummah opening, conquering the White Palaces of Babel. Okay. A reference to the palace containing the Persian throne. This place was raided during the reign of Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab. Okay. However, in the late 2000s, I attended a lecture delivered in the Alam Rock area of Birmingham under the auspices of Al-Muhajirun of Omar Bakri. Okay. A political cult that believes in prerogative, that its prerogative is established the Khilafah at 10 Downing Street in London. Okay. The lecture was delivered by Anjum Chowdhury who during the, dis- the course of his lecture claimed that Al-Qasr al-Abiyat is actually the White House in Washington, D.C. When the Prophet ﷺ said, in the clear hadith that it's in Babel. Right? And he told Adi, it likely that you will see it. That means it's very close to Adi bin Hatim's time. Not way later like this. Afterwards, at the end of the lecture, I raised the matter with Chaudhry, and I corrected him. He responded, the hadith I cited from Sahih Muslim was weak. Right, because he doesn't like it, so he now makes the Sahih of Sahih Hadith of Sahih Muslim weak. Okay, and the correct version was the one that he mentioned in his lecture, despite pointing out to him that the prophetic narrations found in Sahih Muslim are not deemed weak by any Sunni scholars. Chaudhry did not retract his claim and instead insisted that the Hadith foretold a raid of the White House in the United States, fantasy land, fantasy land. I would love to have seen a Ch- Anjum Chaudhry. Uh, uh, and Sheikh Asrad Rashid debate. You know about Anjum Chaudhry? Yeah. Uh, Anjum Chaudhry is part of a group called the Muhajirun. They believe in the Khilafah. And he's always go- he was going on Fox News. And, and to me, they were bringing him almost as the caricature of, astaghfirullah, not to offend the brother, but like the crazy ideas. Right? I think he's still active, yeah. Not as active, but I think. Sean Hannity loved him in the sense of you fit perfectly the caricature that I want. Yeah, exactly. 
And so he used to always go on Fox News and and, and talk his talk. Such misinterpretations of a hadith occur around political events when people feel the need to ascribe an individual or current disaster, right, uh, to, to a prophetic description. Okay, in hadith, in a hadith recorded by Imam Abu Dawood and others, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam foretold the destruction destruction of the Kaaba towards the end of time at the hands of the African leader, described as ha- the one having two thin legs, dhul suwaiqatain. This leader will only appear after the time of Sayyidina Isa. After Sayyidina Isa has passed away. Right? When the believers, khalas, the believers are all passing away. And after Gog and Magog. After Dajjal. After the Mahdi. All these signs will only be, you know, for those who lived a long life after Sayyidina Isa. Ibn Maryam. Okay? This African leader is described as someone who will climb on top of the Kaaba and destroy it big, brick by brick with a pickaxe, and he will seal the treasure of the Kaaba. Treasure of the Kaaba is a reference to the golden water pipe which is attached to the roof of the Kaaba above the semicircular area known as the Hatim. So he wants to seal that golden water pipe. All right. So apparently there's such poverty will exist that he wants to go up there and take it. Okay. Just that piece of gold right there. The Hadith pertaining to the occurrence of such an event is very clear. Okay. Both the event and the individual will be after the Dajjal. It is also clear that this individual will appear as a ruler from Africa after all the Muslims have passed away from the earth and Islam has been raised. Okay? There will be no believers on the, anymore on the earth. Yet there are people who cite this particular hadith. Oh my gosh. You're not going to believe this. What do you think? Yet there are people who cited this hadith in 2009 after the election of President Obama. <laughs> and they said, be careful, he's going to destroy the Kaaba. Oh my gosh. <laughs> serious comedy, serious. Uh, La La Land here, people. La La Land. Serious La La Land. The second... <laughs> you guys not even... <laughs> Been to Africa two times, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Guys, Hawaiian, Chicago, whatever. He, what's, where's Africa in this? Allah. He's kind of skinny though, right? Allah. <laughs> the second fallacy and flawed methodological practice I mentioned earlier is that of taking one hadith in isolation and ignoring all the other numerous. See, when you do an interpretation, you have to bring all the texts and sew it together in a way that makes sense with all the texts and does not contradict the language of the text, does not contradict any other stronger text. Okay, That's what a correct interpretation is. Okay, like all this about Jum'ah, if the Allah and His Messenger haven't specified something, then mujtahids will decide, right, based on their ijtihad, their judgment. How many people, when do we do Jum'ah, how many, what, what distance, but it can't contradict something else, right? So... So these people are far off, all right. But they're they are providing the ummah with some comedy here. To be honest with you, such an epistemological error is a common phenomenon for the self-proclaimed eschatologist Imran Hossein. Hossein seems to limit his analysis of geopolitical events to interpretations given on a few pivotal events in the Quran and the Sunnah. Hossein's methodology focuses on the fact that Russia is a room. Where did he get that? 
that the Arum mentioned the Quran and Sunnah, it's Russia. And that Muslims will form an alliance with Russia against the Zionist Christians of Western Europe and America. Secondly, Hussein theorize, theorizes that the barrier of Gog and Magog constructed by the Qurnayn, okay, which according to him was located in the Caucasus Mountains, the Daryl George, Gorge, Daryl Gorge, can someone look that up? He said it was already breached in the time of the Prophet wasallam, and yet, yet Jujamajuj already came out from behind the barrier. His epistemology, epistemology involves looking first at the Qur'an for a correct interpretation of events, then to the Sunnah afterwards, a method similar to that of uh, the Hanafi jurisprudence in legal theory, usul al-fiqh. However, there is a major distinction between the two ostensibly similar methods, and that is that Hanafi legal theorists study all the hadith on a subject and seek compatibility and synthesis of the overall meaning. If this becomes a difficult ta- task, they adopt only the ahadith that coincide with the Quranic meaning and find other ahadith that support that meaning. Imran Hussein, on the other hand, is far from Hanafi usul. He has nothing to do with Hanafi usul. Okay, just happens to be similar. Firstly, interprets the Quranic verses in accordance with his theory, then misquotes or partially quotes or completely discards a hadith on the same subject that go against his theory. An example of this is his interpreting Rum today as being exclusively Russia, viewing it as he does as the true inheritor of the Tsar and the Eastern Orthodox Church. He bases this view on the description of a group of Christians praising the Quran for their sincerity as opposed to another group of Christians who are condemned in the Quran. Similarly, Muslims are warned about a group of Christians that align themselves with the Jews. Okay? Imran Hussein identifies the latter group in a condemnation of Western Christianity. The Christians aligned with the Jews. Okay? That includes Catholics and Protestants of Western Europe, the United States, the Anglosphere in general. The Christians praised in the Quran, on the other hand, according to Hussein, are the Greek Orthodox Christians, which Hussein says this will be the group that the Mahdi will enter into an alliance with at the end of time. The problem with this theory is that we only learn of such an alliance preceding the great slaughter through Hadith, okay? which also happened to state that despite the initial accord, the relationship with Rum will be treacherous and the alliance will be violated, after which the Muslims will concert, conquer Constantinople. This leads to another internal contradiction in Imran Hussein's theory, which is that he believes that the Muslims must return to Constantinople or Istanbul. They must return it to the Greek Orthodox Christians personified today by modern Russia and ruled by Vladimir Putin. As a result of this, the Muslims must return the Hagia Sophia, Hagia Sophia Cathedral to them with heartfelt apologies. He also states that Sultan Muhammad al-Fatih the conqueror of Constantinople was a usurper and that the Ottoman Khalifa is a Dajjalic stooge, merely posing as an Islamic caliphate. Hussein's earlier discourses did not express such sentiments regarding the Ottomans. Okay? However, in the past decade, from the time of writing this, his stance on the Ottoman caliphate has changed. If the avid listener to Imran Hussein's lecture was to check the hadith on the alliance with Rum, in the end of times they would find that Hussein indeed quotes the hadith, but only part of it. And he rejects other parts of the very same hadith. Every hadith that mentions the alliance between the Rum and the end of time also states that they will break the alliance. And then later, a great 
slaughter will ensue between the Muslims and the room. Okay. To go into more details, Imran Hussein insists on identifying Rum with Russia and ignores the passage relating to the treachery of Rum. Hussein avoids citing the entire hadith. Never does. And he claims that Russia, Russia being Rum, comes from the Quran. He is not able to substantiate any of this. Okay. That is the end time alliance will result in the conquering of Constantinople, but it does not quote the hadith in its entirety. Now, here's his problem. He believes that end of time we're going to conquer Constantinople. But we know that Constantinople, Istanbul, has already been conquered. So he has to nullify that conquest, thereby removing from Islam about 700 years of Muslims, more maybe. When was it, 1,500? Maybe 600 years of Muslims. Yeah. So that it can be reconquered to fit his theory. Well, what, what do we say about that? We say that a conquest of something is not only by arms. A Muslim can conquer a Muslim land peacefully by going there with their army. And what does the hadith say? That the Mahdi will arrive at the army of, uh, at the edge of Constantinople. When they hear the takbir, they will give up and they will join him. What does that mean? That means they recognize takbir. They know what it is, they like it, and they have an affinity to it. As soon as they heard the takbir, that means that initially they'll be against Imam al-Mahdi. He will march towards them as soon as they realize, oh, he's actually coming, they'll join them. That's a fatah. Fatah doesn't have to come with war. Okay. Hussein also believes that the Muslims and the Russian Orthodox Christians will go to war against Europe and the USA, whom he designated as ungodly allies of the Zionist Jews. This looming war, according to Hussein, is the actual Armageddon mentioned in the New Testament and in the Hadith. However, as already noted, this interpretation ignores the fact that the room will be duplicitous and that Al-Malham Al-Kubra, the great slaughter, literally, will be the war between Muslims and their former allies, Ar-Rum. Okay? And this will consequently lead to the conquest of Constantinople. Okay? Some hadith scholars have stated that the fact Constantinople will be reconquered after having been conquered in the time of Sultan Muhammad al-Fatih demonstrate that a power inimical to Islam will be ruling the city in the end of times. That means Constantinople will be reabsorbed out, or absorbed by something outside of Islam. Th- this is not impossible as Constantinople, Istanbul today, was ruled by Mustafa Kemal Ataturk and other secularists in recent times. Ataturk, of course, is someone who's an enemy of Islam. So if someone was to come in uh, and, and take it from the person like him, it's a type of conquest. So Al-Malham Al-Kubra, the great slaughter between that was going to occur at the end of time is between the Europeans and the Muslims. Europe is not going to go down without a fight. It doesn't necessarily mean the Americans will be part of that. It doesn't necessarily mean all the European countries will be part of that. But the vast majority of those nations and those lands will not peacefully submit to Islam. They will, it will go, when, whenever you have a power, there's a theory out there in history. I don't know if you guys know about this theory. The name of the theory off the top of my head, I can't remember. It's got some kind of a, a, a Greek, a Latin name. But it's a commonsensical theory that states that there is no power that is threatened by a rising power, except that they must have a massive conflict before the rising power overtakes the current power. 
Theodosophus theory or something. So, it's, it's that's the theory. Okay, that there can never be a uh, replacement of power except after a conflict. You never have a great power simply cede itself to the next power. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So Europe now, Western Europe and America, these the Anglosphere, that's the power of the world, right? No one really doubts that. Well, Islam is going to rise up through the Al-Imam al-Mahdi. There will be an alliance between the two for a time being until the Rum breaks that alliance. And once they break that alliance, then the what they do to the Muslims will be unspeakable, which you can fathom too because they have the arms. They have the weaponry. They have the ability. That's the meaning of all that. So he really wants to go and put Russia as his friends and allies. Well, you're not reading the rest of the Hadith. A corollary to Hussein's argument is that the USA, UK, and European leadership that may be termed the deep state are in fact Gog and Magog. Why would the Prophet warn us about Gog and Magog when we can't ever see them? When they're hidden in front of everybody. Like, what was the point of, of warning us about them? He believes this explains why Western Christianity, both Catholic and Protestant churches, have been corrupted by this oligarchy. The strongest proof that Western civilization is Gog and Magog, according to Hussein, comes from the Quran, which, according to his interpretation, informs us of the return of the Jews to Jerusalem only after Gog and Magog have been released from behind the barrier of Dhul Qarnayn. Hussein cites the verses, it is impossible for a society which we have destroyed to ever rise again until after Gog and Magad have broken loose, swarming down from every hill, ushering in the true promise. Then, behold, the disbelievers will stare in horror, crying, oh, woe to us. We have truly been heedless of this. Worse, we have been wrongdoers. While traditional commentators on the Quran take these verses at face value as meaning that people in any town that have been destroyed and punished will not be resurrected until after Gog and Magad have been released. Just before the judgment day, Hussein claims otherwise. He argues that the word town is specific to Jerusalem. And people referred to in the verse are the Israelites. Thus, the verse should be interpreted as the Israelites will not return to their town, Jerusalem, until Gog and Magog have been released. Therefore, the fact that Israel exists means Gog and Magog already have been released. To support his claim, he has no concept of qat'i and dhani, right? He takes a possible reading of something and makes it the theory. Okay. To support his claim, Hussein cites the story of Uzair in Surah Al-Baqarah, in which Qariya, in the indefinite, can only refer to Jerusalem, or consider him by way of example, who passed by a town, and it was Jerusalem, that had fallen upon itself. He exclaimed, how will Allah restore life now that it is now done? Okay, and it referred to uh, Jerusalem. Hussein claims that the town here is definitely Jerusalem by analyzing the verse from Surah Al-Anbiya. He claims that it is also a decisive reference to the return of the Jews to Jerusalem. This, he says, was fulfilled when Britain declared the Jewish homeland of the Balfour Declaration. This would mean that the creation of Israel and the return of the Jewish people to Jerusalem implicates the British elite as being Gog and Magog. Hussein goes on to assert that the current phenomenon of globalization is the result of the release of Gog and Magog. This interpretation of the verse of Surah Al-Anbiya will be discussed further when elaborating on Gog and Magog and the location of the barrier of Dhul Qarnayn. 
that's his section on that. And next he talks about people who talk about the unseen based upon dreams and mukashafat. Okay, and I think that he hasn't... Um, this book was published before the person such as that Muhammad Dreams fellow who's all over the internet, you know, before him. You guys know about him, right? Okay, in Pakistan, there's a man. I think he's a miskeen, to be honest with you, but he... I thought it was serious in the beginning. I thought it was something real. So I actually read some of the articles and didn't take me long to realize that he's miskeen. And he is theorizes about the unseen or about the future all based on his dreams and he now has thousands of bots posting on every islamic uh, thread on twitter i wouldn't know because i'm moving away a little bit from going so much on social media but i will be posting stuff so really interesting stuff isn't it how but this this theory is so far off and um, so off the map that uh, it can't be taken seriously. And I wonder how many times these individuals have to be proven wrong in order to stop. And I'll tell you, ultimately, the most important thing is uh, let's go to uh, the, uh, the ibra, the real ibra, or the real lesson or the real proof of something is in the followers. Let's go to, just go to uh, the people who watch these Imran Hussein videos day in and day out. Okay, there's no increase in like piety and righteousness. The increase in their benefit or dawah or teaching kids Quran or doing dawah to people or actually gaining real knowledge. All they have, these guys, is constant, non-stop conspiracy theories, and they all want to leave. I want to leave my family. I want to leave everyone. Everything's doomed. We're all doomed. I just want to go somewhere. I talked one time with a brother. He said, "Kalasa, we're done with. It's all done with. There's no point." Right, and I'm like, "What are you talking about? You have a family. You have two kids." He's like, "Chalas." What do you mean, chalas? Right, chalas. <laughs> right, uh, it's done with. As if that you have the game clock in front of you, and deemed the game to be over. So I said, "What are you going to do?" He said, "I'm going to move to Saudi." Okay, I'm like, "That is actually the theater of the first battle of Imam Al Mahdi. That's where it's going to happen. That's the arena." That's the front row of the conflict, okay? And you think you can watch Imran Hussein videos in Saudi? You think that that's can be can be? He said, "Oh, then he came later." He said, "No, we're getting farms in Malaysia." What? Yeah. So in layman's circles, sometimes people talk like uh, this is from the signs of the hour. The, the buildings are the shepherds yeah. are building buildings. The diseases yeah. are spreading. Things like that. Is it bad for laymen to talk about? As long as it's true, as long as it's a fact, right? If it's factual, if it does have a ba- like, for example, when people see facade and fisk, yeah. and they say, "Oh, this is the end of time," really, the end of time. I think it's an expression that refers to things have gotten worse than they ever were before, and we could be in the end of time in general. Like in general, we're in the end of time, but. To, to make theories that con- end up contradicting other hadith is the problem. Discarding hadith. Or actually specifying an individual or a country or a land. Right? Yeah, when Allah knows best. And whenever people worry about Al-Mahdi and Sayyidina Isa and Dajjal, 
I always say, why do I have to worry about this, right? When I have shiuch, I have elders. They're all there. One voice note. A sheikh. And sometimes the big senior scholars, you can't always reach them. But you can reach their attendants, their, their attendees, their drivers, their cousins. Hey, what did the sheikh say about this? That's it. Discussion over. If I don't make an issue of fatwa on in food ingredients for myself, right? A new ingredient in food. I don't issue the fatwa for myself. I got the fatwa from the shiuch. You're going to come on the big issue of the dajjal and try to be the mujtahid yourself. By the way, to say someone is the Dajjal, someone is get Juja Majuj, that's a fatwa. Right? It is bimanzilat al fatwa. It's a fatwa. Because if someone comes and says this meat is halal, that's a fatwa. You are saying that it was slaughtered according to the Sharia. That's a fatwa. Right? So if we're we don't give fatwa unless we're absolutely certain on matters. And if it's a totally new matter, we go to the Mujtahid fin Nazila on these things. Are we going to now rely upon ourselves when it comes to the biggest issue uh, of our lifetime? If the Dajjal comes, that's the biggest thing that's ever going to happen in your lifetime as an Ummah. Nothing bigger is going to happen because your Jannah and Nar is all based on this political position. It's a political position and a religious position in one, right? And Sayyidina Isa and Imam al-Mahdi is going to come and you're going to be uh, first. He's going to come first and that's going to be your first test. So we're not going to rely just upon ourselves. We have shiuch, and we think that Allah is going to miss that the people, the, the shiuch, all the shiuch will be misguided. That's not true either. All right, let's take um, comments and questions now from Instagram. The camera keeps going in and out of focus, according to one speaker here. Is that because I'm moving back and forth? Yeah, the moment if you keep moving, I keep moving the mic and the camera. Will then um, adjust with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Turquoise is really upset on Insta- on 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 uh, on YouTube. Why are you spreading blank? I'm not going to say stupid statements. Hodeifa says it's the. Uh, Thucydides trap Yes, the Thucydides trap Which is the idea that You will never have a power Replacing another power Except after a major conflict Between the two of them Okay Alright Hatiq Rahman I believe he's out of Philly If he's the same Hatiq This book is again Is navigating the end time by Asrar Rashid It's a book that is Only about 350 pages The text is really easy to read And I plan to read this book inshallah, And read from it in the stream Anything I can't read for myself I end up just read it to everybody here in the stream Ibn Sulaiman says Is not the ruler that destroys the Kaaba from Abyssinia Obama was from Kenya it Makes no sense I guess for him All of East Africa is one Chocolate Wallace besides himself, okay, that he said it's Obama. Uh, whatever happened to Anjum Chaudhry, who knows? Why don't you look him up, see if he has any latest YouTube videos. Uh, Chocolate Wallace says, he puts it really well. 
His problem, meaning all these preachers of end times this and end times that, and uh, Imran Hussein specifically, says he takes mutashabihat, or at least dhaniyat. They're either mutashabih or dhani. At the very least, you could say they're, they're dhani and be safe. Dhani, meaning you don't know exactly who it's talking about. Right? And he makes it muhkam. And then he takes the muhkam, which doesn't fit his theory, and renders it mutashabih. And he takes the am and makes it khas. And then takes the khas and makes the am. The general statement, general word, he makes it specific. Specific word, he makes it general. Okay. You're kidding me. Oh, you guys don't search it. Wait a second. He was just arrested yesterday. What a coincidence. Well, read it. Read us the story. Open it and expand it so I can. So we just talked about Andrew Chowdhury today, and he was arrested yesterday. Read, uh, huh? Subhanallah. Uh, go to the uh, what is there? BBC. You know the Daily Mail and the Sun. There are like New York Posts, right? Tabloids. Telegraph. That's good paper, right? Kind of liberal. Yeah, but it, do they check facts or they just talk like the? Okay. We can't even read the tele- <laughs> telegraph because there's a paywall there. Yeah. Uh, expand a little bit if you can. What? Okay. Hate preacher Anjum Chaudhry is still being questioned by police after being arrested on suspicion of a terrorism offense. Detectives raided the 56 year old Chaudhry's home in Ilford, which is right outside of London. At 5.40 a.m. on Monday. I guess they knew when Ishraq was. So. <laughs> Make sure he prays Fudge first. Scotland Yard counterterrorism uh, officers arrested a second man, a Canadian, who landed at Heathrow, 28 years old, seven hours later. Both men were held on suspicion of being members of the banned organization in contravention to the Terrorism Act. The banned organization, I'm assuming, is Al-Muhajirun. Ch- Chudri... A trained lawyer was, for many years, the UK's most prominent Islamic extremist. He headed the group Al-Muhajirun, which were banned under the terror laws in the wake of 9-11 and 7-7, which happened in 2000 bomb, which is suicide bombing that happened in 2005, sorry. Al-Muhajirun described 9-11 as magnificent martyrs. Okay. In a statement, the Metropolitan Police said counterterrorism detectives have arrested two men as part of an investigation into suspected terrorism offenses. Here I am thinking, you know, the war on terror is dead. All right, go back up for a second. Finish that article real quick. All right, he says they, uh, the officers arrested a 56-year-old man from East London Okay, at 5.40 a.m. They arrested a 28-year-old Canadian Okay, as soon as he arrived, both were arrested on uh, suspicion of membership to, of a prescribed organization. Uh, the men are currently being held under Section 41 of the Terrorism Act at the West London Police Station. Interesting. Okay, any other article? Because they're just suspected of being part of an organization, not... Okay, here's the Daily Mail. Expand that real quick. We need to turn on Tahid for this trashy website yeah turn the whole thing on good if you guys don't know what Tahid is it's a web it's a extension for Chrome only 
that allows you to blur all the pictures or selectively and the degree of the blurring you can. So when you get an, an article that you want to read, but all the ads around it are trashy, you can turn on the Tahir app uh, extension and you could just do it with a shortcut key. Alt-L turns it on. And Alt-K, if it's on and your mouse is hovering on something and you hit Alt-K, you could look at that picture. And if it's off and you don't want to look at something and you hover the mouse and you hit Alt-K, it'll blur that picture only. Yeah, whoever made them. So, yeah, that's how to, that's how to do Taha to take it and spread it. Any good articles? Okay, because he is somebody who, they used to always have a different jihadist in the media, in England. And the first, it was, was a, an Egyptian, Abu Hamza. And he literally, he has blinded one eye. And he had a hook for an arm, for a hint, okay? And he supplied them, his name was Abu Hamza al-Masri, believe it or not. He supplied them with, look, look. He supplied them with the caricature that they were looking for. I'm not making fun of him saying that. I'm saying they deemed him to be the caricature figure. And he came with the jihad and are you seriously playing the role with that Captain Hook hand when you know the world now has prosthetic hands? It's as if he embraced it, right? And he would say all sorts of things that were questionable in the Sharia. Highly questionable, if not blatantly wrong, regarding jihad and Darul Kufr. Okay? And he took over a masjid by uh, not so far from where I used to live in England. Was it called? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's that's insane. <laughs> hey, listen, what's um, where did Arsenal used to play? Uh, Finsbury Park is the station right after Highbury, right? Finsbury Park was the mosque that he took over, and he literally took it over the week I arrived in England. I'm sitting with my dad. We there's newspapers on the buses, free newspaper. I think the Daily Mail is the newspaper they give away on the buses or something. Anyway, I pick it, p- pick this thing up. And I say, oh, a Muslim's in the news. That's a big deal, right? For, for us back way back in the day. And I'm like, what in the world? Is this just like a caricature? And they say he took over the Finsbury Park Mosque and the people of the community, of the Muslim community are against this. And it was a big fitna. And little did I know that Muslims in the news, specific so-called characters in the news was a commonplace thing already in England. And that Muslims were already sort of on the map in that respect. And we've never, in American uh, media, really had a Muslim who made the mainstream, you know, uh, media scene. We never had that. Sheikh Hamza may, went to the Washington Post once or something after 9-11, but wasn't like mainstream. Mainstream meaning in the mainstream media. But they put Abu Hamza al-Masri first as like the bad guy. And he supplied them with excellent content. Nan came... He went to jail, I think. Then came Anjum Chaudhry, and he became their supply. But he speaks perfect English, and he makes these arguments, and he became the second generation of the boogeyman that they put up. But he also supplied them with amazing content, according, you know, that they want to hear. That they want to hear the Muslims say these things. 
his so that's uh that's what happened with him and um and apparently he was uh just arrested i don't i don't i don't foresee much of a trial like suspicion of being part of a group is that like yeah must they they have to have a warrant to raid a home yep Therefore, they have evidence. I mean, we know that these groups, they get shut down, but they still meet up. They still eat lunch together. They still eat dinner together. They just can't have an official group. Probably cracked his phone or something. He was, like, texting some guys about all this stuff. Yeah. Hacked his phone and found some questionable texts. So we'll keep that in mind. Questions? All right. Let's take this question here. Why do the Habayb and the scholars say Imam al-Mahdi will come from al-Hasan? Yes, that the Prophet said that. When a lot of them are Ajam, non-Arabs. Okay. There are Hassanis that live in Mecca. Yes, they are. He is from al-Hasan. He is from the, his, his father's descendants from al-Hasan. Sarah X says, uh, X77, what's the best thing to do? Do you suggest doing Islamic-wise if someone has a complete month off? I would sign up for a program that will help you discipline yourself. Who is the most disciplined person? The one who doesn't have to try to be disciplined, right? So sign up for a program that will discipline you in attending the classes, okay? All right. Can we call someone khawarij for takfiring? No. And calling other people grave worshippers. Khawarij specifically is the rebel against the, the, the valid government. That is specifically what the khawarij are. But they do have certain, in the time of the Prophet, certain religious proclivities or tendencies, which is towards extremism and the rejection of scholarship and literalism. Those are the attributes. And they always attack the Muslims. And they never attack the kuffar. There's not a single city of pagans, of kuffar, of any other religion that has been guided into Islam by the Kharajites. Not a single enemy that has been stopped from abusing the Muslims by the Khawarij. They are a net zero when it comes to dawah, out of the dawah, to protecting the ummah. Okay, the Khawarij of our times those who have those types of attributes, okay, um, you notice them, all, their, their attribute should be is that they always attack the Muslims and they leave the pagans alone. You had that story of, we read that story a couple weeks ago, on the son of Khabab ibn al-Arat. We said that he came upon some Khawarij and the Khawarij said, that they said, you know, I think he said something like, ride with us. He said, okay, I'll ride with you. He rides with them. And one man found a fruit on the ground and he ate it. They said, oh, you didn't pay back the owner. So he went and he paid, found the owner, walked and paid him for like the little fruit that he took. Then he walked a little bit more and he, um, a woman came by and he said, help this woman. And, and they're like, hey, he's like, oh, they're good. Thought the Khawarij were bad. They're good. Right? So everything was good until the political issue that they have so they said to him by the way what do you say about Ali and he answered wrong he answered the correct answer which was to them wrong 
So they took him and they took his wife and they killed them all, including the baby, right? That's a summary of the chulasa of the story that I read. So when it comes to the pagans and everybody else, they're very good, right? And they're, they're, they're peaceful with them. But when it comes to the Muslims, they attack them. So the Khawarij, nothing good ever comes to them for the Ummah. North Korean says, I have a lot of hate in my heart for certain groups and people for bad experience, how to get rid of this. Fill your mind. Fill your mind with new experiences, new friends, until the, your, your hatred goes away. Okay. Until your hatred goes away. We need to, uh, if you can get your... Dua and Nur... Because we're gonna soon we're gonna close off with Dua and Nur. Okay. What is the ruling about making a business selling Arabic calligraphy? You can make money off of calligraphy. Yes, it's, it is completely permitted for you to make money off of calligraphy. What should we get angry about? When did our beloved Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam get angry about? We should always be angry about the rights of others, the rights of Allah, and the rights of the creation being abused. Okay. Would it be permissible to preemptively warn others from dealing with an individual who has harmed you in real life okay, in group chats and social media groups? If, if there is a reason that people, that you think someone would interact with that person, you can preempt. So, for example, if someone opens up a certain business in the same industry as that other person that you dealt with, and that person is very, let's say, immoral, and oppressive in his business practices. So at that point, it's reasonable to imagine they will cross paths. They're in the same industry. Then you can warn them. Or if someone lives in a neighborhood and that other person is um, a drama type of person, now that they're in the neighborhood, it's likely that they're going to interact. Then you can preempt them. But only, on the, only in the case where there's a reason to believe they're going to interact. Uh, well, Lily Poppy says, we want you to answer my question. What's the best way to show gratitude? I got the job I really wanted to have expressed shukri in my heart, but I want to do more. Now, use the job to help others. Use the money to help others. Always speak with your tongue about the source of this goodness, and that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's how you have hamd, and you have shukr by helping others. Hamd is by always recognizing it's from Allah and obeying Him. Shukr is to use the ni'mah to help other people. That's the difference between hamd and shukr. Yeah. How do we embrace the new year of Muharram? There are ad'iyah. There are ad'iyah that scholars make for the new year. And these ad'iyah are not necessarily of the sunnah, but it's in the mentality of people that... Um, it's the mentality of people that it's a new beginning. And it is something that Sahaba, they're the ones who established Muharram as the beginning of the month. And it was the idea of, anyone know whose idea it was? Sayyidina Umar to, to, to start a calendar. And a story, as soon as you start a calendar, you have to pick the year and the month. But why Muharram? When we just read that the Hijrah happened in Rabi al-Awwal. Started Muharram because when, the, when the, Sayyidina Umar said we need a calendar, we need to start counting. It was Sayyidina Ali who suggested the Hijrah as 
the beginning of the calendar. So Sayyidina Omar then said, well, what's the, what month should be month number one, right? Everyone said different things, but Sayyidina Omar really liked the saying of Sayyidina Uthman most. He said, we make hajj and we feel that we are now renewing our pages, right, of deeds and our heart and our deen and everything. We're renewing everything. So Dhul Hijjah should be the last month of the year so that the Hujjaj come back and it accords with the new um, the new year. So that's how Muharram became and Taha Sheikh got it right. It was Sayyidina Uthman that recommended Muharram. All right, let's open up, let's close out with Dua An-Nur. Quick question, sure. Not that I know of. I don't know of any martial arts that was um, established yeah, from the time. Constantly, Kung Fu, yeah. There is Brazilian. They have their own SNE. It's crazy how they have SNE. Yeah, and they treat the shiuch like. Yeah. Talha. It's happening. If the door closes after praying istikhara, should we accept it and move on? I would say move on, but if it's something that could change, right, then there's no reason to completely cut it off. Okay, tell her what's happening, man. Okay. So, like what? I don't know what example to give, but if you're making istikhara for something and the door closes for that thing, you have to ask, is it a permanent closure or a temporary closure? Right, so if it's temporary... Then you maybe you would move on temporarily, and if that door opens up again, you go for it again. Uh, Jimmy Jetson has a question. A few live streams ago, you mentioned that Allah can give life by a couple means. Is it true that He gave life to an animal through a rock? Yes, that is the story of Saleh, Prophet Saleh. His people said, "Bring a pregnant she camel, pregnant camel from out of a rock," and He did. Allah did, and He. Fulfilled the he, he did and it didn't change anyone's belief It made them worse even They got worse They did worse things They killed that animal Okay In what way is complaining to the creation Not virtuous or preferred Couldn't this be a means of bringing people together Complaining to the creation And backbiting There's a thin line between the two Okay Complaining For example uh, You go and you complain to your family member about work, right? And then your wife is all nice to you, and that brings you together. Yeah, maybe that's something. But backbiting is when there's it's there's the person in front of you is not giving you advice. The person in front of you is not helping you. The person um, uh, in front of you will now think very ill of the other person. That's where you're now entering backbiting. But when it's a situation, I'm so frustrated by my neighbor or so-and-so, and I'm telling you so you can help me. Help me have sabr. Help me find a solution. Help me do all these things. Then we can say maybe that is more in the realm of advice. Okay, So it's a thin line, really. All right, let's go to Dua and Nur and wrap up. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma ja'ali nuran fi qalbi. 
ونورا في قبري ونورا في سمعي ونورا في بصري ونورا في شعري ونورا في بشري ونورا في لحمي ونورا في دمي ونورا في عظامي ونورا في عصبي ونورا من بين يدي ونورا من خلفي ونورا عن يميني ونورا عن شمالي ونورا من فوقي ونورا من تحتي اللهم زدني نورا وأعطني نورا واجعل لي نورا وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين Oh,